You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, pardon the interruption, but just a quick message from me to let you know about the leadership survey we have just placed on the website. Here at The Great Coaches, we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, but we have gone back to the transcripts of the more than 200 great coaches we've interviewed to identify their key leadership traits. We've then created a survey of 20 questions to help you compare your leadership style to theirs. It's free, only takes a few minutes to complete, and should help you find areas of relative strength and weakness. If you'd like to know more, check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everyone. It's Jim here. We're taking a short break while we prepare for our next season of the podcast. And so we're using the opportunity to revisit some of our favorite interviews. This week is from Thomas Frank, the manager of Brentford FC in the English Premier League. Thomas is an astute coach and his views on accountability have influenced my own leadership style. I hope you enjoyed this second time around as much as we did. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Jim Wolfrey, and you're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Thomas Frank. Thomas is the head coach, or as they say in football, the manager of Brentford FC in the English Football League Championship. Thomas started his career coaching youth teams in Denmark. His success with the national under-17 team led to his first senior appointment with Bromby in the Danish Superliga in 2013. He turned their performance around, delivering top four performances in successive years. In 2016, he took up an assistant coaching role at Brentford before becoming their manager in 2018. 
In his first season, he took the side to 11th in the table, and then the following season he led them to the Skybet Championship Playoff Final. At the end of the 2019 season, he was awarded Manager of the Year, and in May 2021, Brentford beat Swansea for promotion into the English Premier League for the first time in 74 years. Thomas is an emotionally intelligent coach with an innate understanding of the dynamics that shape the culture of teams. His beliefs about the importance of humility and the value of hard work and standards are timeless. And he understands that to experience the joy of success, you must endure long periods of struggle. And yet, through care and what he calls appreciative inquiry, you can sustain the energy needed to continue on. The key parts of this interview that really resonated with me were how he shapes the team around the core values of hard work, performance, attitude, and togetherness. How he works with a mentor every week who uses what he calls constructive cynicism to help him stay focused on his values and energy levels. And how he believes football is an art. And when you create a beautiful picture on the pitch, it gives him so much joy. This really was a wonderful conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as Paul and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Thomas Frank, good morning and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Morning. Thank you very much. We're very excited to talk to you today because Brentford is about to play off to get into the Premier League. So thank you for finding a little bit of time for us. Yeah, no worries. It's one of these bits that I'm very interested in and hopefully can can give a bit back. If I could start with a really deep and complex question, where are you in the world today and what have you been up to so far? I'm in London and of course in the East, not of course, but in East Sheen. And I've been out running in the morning and then a bit of work before this beautiful podcast. Thomas, I'd like to start actually by winding the clock back a little bit because you've had a great apprenticeship yourself as a coach, but along the way, you actually worked with some pretty good coaches, Richard Nielsen, Michael Ludrup, I think I got the name right, and Dean Smith. Yeah. There's just a few that I could uncover online. So I'd like to start by asking, what is it you think the great coaches do differently that sets them apart from everybody else? I think it's a variety of, of things. I think they need to have a clear philosophy they believe in. Let's say that could be a life philosophy, but also as football coaches, that's very much and normally linked with a style of play. Then they have a big belief. In, in what they what they do and um, what they like to accomplish. And then they also, I would say, a lot of, I think, the greatest coaches have a, a really good relation with people. Talk to you a little bit about relationships and philosophy later on, if I can. But yeah, I'd like to drill in a little bit because you talked about belief a minute ago and variety. And, and when I was researching you for today's interview, I found this great quote from you. And when you were reflecting on the team's success at Brentford, you said, our success is down to different things, but character and values are key above anything else. And so I wanted to ask you, what are your core values as a coach? I think that also reflects a little bit on the first question. I think when you see a team play, I think a lot of the time it's the good picture of how, what a person, what kind of values the coach has. In many, many, many ways. I think just to take the, the, the very well-known coaches like Jurgen Klopp, 
I think he's one specific person. And that's why his team play maybe a little bit more, as he call it, heavy metal uh, style of rock and roll. And Guardiola is another style. I know those are the two big, big names and figures out there. But I think it's it comes down to the same with any other coach, in, including me. We work with four main pillars, or I work with four main pillars in um, Brentford. All four of them, of course, are linked together with, I would say, some of my main values in terms of respect, honesty, and I believe also very much in, in integrity. I think that's, that's, that's who I am as a person. But I try to make it a little bit more visual, but also a little bit more alive for the players so they know what it is we are, we are working with. So I'm speaking always about four pillars, and, and one of them are hard work. I think we all know in these great performances and these top teams or top athletes, none, none of them have achieved anything without hard work. So it's a basic pillar. But sometimes players or coaches don't know what hard work is. I think there's a very <laughs> different opinion of how much is hard work. But hard work is, is a big thing. Second thing is performance. And I would say that everything you do every single day is, is about a good performance. So you put a good performance out in training, linked with the hard work. You put a good performance in, in, into, the, into the game. Everything is linked on that. And then under the performance, you can focus on different aspects of the style of play. We focus very much of the build-up play or the high pressing, but it's everything about putting a, a good performance out there. Then I think it's crucial that we talk about attitude. And attitude is, for me, is that you are confident. I don't think you can achieve anything as an athlete, coach, anything, a football player, without being confident, but you need to be humble. So I love that you are very much confident in your own abilities and your, your own strength, but also you need to be humble but because there's a big world out there and there's a lot of tasks ahead or struggles that you need to overcome. And the final bit is togetherness. You can't achieve anything alone. I think if you want to achieve anything quick, you can go alone. But if you want to achieve anything big, you need to go together. And I always value my players' performance in terms of what they, they give themselves, but also how much they give to their teammates or the team. And it's that overall performance that is the what I rate high. Thomas, there's another great quote from you and I've actually stolen it to use when I describe my own value around accountability. And you say, I teach my children to take their plate to the kitchen. And I wanted to ask you, how does this saying transcend into your request for team standards? I think it's very much linked with the other pillars in terms of togetherness or hard work. And and also that attitude where you are confident, but you're humble. So a good example, for example, is that after we come home from our away match, it's very, very important for me that I take it back going off the coach because, yeah, I know they, I'm the head coach, but I think we're all in it together. The kitman, of course, normally because he's a big part of that, physios and all that. And because we do it that way, leading by example, the players, that means my captain, the top scorer, all of them, they are taking it back. I always notice, of course, I'm not standing there overwatching them, but I'm noticing if anyone are shooting off early, only taking one thing. It's just in the, in the back of my mind to make sure if they are a team player. So I think that's a fantastic example of, and you don't create that overnight because sometimes you need to remind some players what 
your teammate, they actually watch you leave early instead of just checking a bag in. So I think that's, that's, a, that's an example in terms that could be linked with that, taking the, the plate to the kitchen. And I think there's so many comparisons you can do in terms of how you raise your children, in terms of how you create a, a good success of team. Thanks, Thomas. I wanted to talk about your apprenticeship, actually. You coached youth teams for 18 years, as well as getting a diploma in sports psychology. And I wanted to ask you, what did you learn most about yourself as a coach through this apprenticeship that prepared you for the elite senior team you're now leading? I think for me, it's been crucial that I definitely, definitely got my 10,000 hours of of coaching on, on the pitch with everything from under eight and all the way up. There's not a year group I haven't coached throughout my, my career from under eight to under 19. And then of course, seniors um, as well afterwards. So I think that's been, that's been a big part of, of learning, trying every single different bits. And because I think if you want to be a great, a great coach, and I know some players, some coaches have been players. And I think that's an, an advantage in some ways because they've been there on the, on the pitch, they tried it themselves, but, in terms of standing on the other side, in terms of make a drill work 100%, make a new one, adjusting and speaking to all kind of different people, children, uh, that's definitely shaped the, the way I am today. Thomas, when you stepped into your first senior coaching position at Bronby in 2013, and you were able to quickly turn the team around with a fourth place finish in the 2014 season, also taking them to a Europa League qualifying spot. What were the first things you did that enabled this great result? I think it, first and foremost, when, when I, I believe in planning, of course, also with my background. So of course I had a, had a clear idea of how I wanted to play, but also had a clear idea of where I assessed where, where Brunbury was at that state. So we need to take it bit by bit. So in terms of the style of play, in terms of I wanted to be more dominating on the ball and, and try to press as aggressive as possible. But I knew in the beginning that we need to focus more on the defensive side of the game um, with Brian Pugh to make that foundation uh, first and then could build from there. And I had, of course, um, several meetings, but especially in the beginning to explain the plan. This is how we do it. This is how we're going to train it. This is how I'm going to coach you guys. And I did that from the beginning. And then, of course, a lot of individual talks, especially with the more experienced players, to get them on board straight away and build that relationship. Because I think it's all about relationship. And I think that's one of my, yeah, I would say strengths in terms of connecting with people and, and get them on board and explain them, try to seduce them in terms of the way I want to do things. I think it's, it's about doing that as well. And then be consistent because I actually... I actually tested the, the board and the chairman very, very hard because I decided not to win my first eight matches as a young coach going forward. So I just wanted to see if they actually did, literally wanted to back me <laughs> or not. No, it was okay, tough. But I, yeah, I believed in what we, what we did and I tried to evaluate the, the performance every single time and then bit by bit. So we didn't win. We didn't lose all of the matches, but we, lost, we, we didn't win the first seven league games and, and went out of the cup as well. And after that, we went in a nine games unbeaten run. So that just shows, I think, that you work structured with a big focus every single day with a clear plan. Because if you do that, then over time, results will come. I wanted to stay with Bronby if I can for a minute, because what I find quite fascinating is 
you left after being criticised by the club chairman who used the pseudonym online to criticise you. And so I wanted to ask you, when you talk to your own players now and staff about voicing criticism, based on your experience, what do you tell them? I think football is definitely a sport where there's a lot of focus, a lot of criticism, and especially with the social media these days. Everything you're doing is judged. And I think that can be hard to to handle as a, as a young person, even if they are 30 years old and an experienced player, they are still a young person. I think sometimes we forget that. They're young in life. I definitely am a different person compared to when I was 30, where, I, of course, I thought I was the, the king of the world and I could everything. But but I must, must admit 17 years further down the line that I am just learned so much more and I'm a completely different coach and, and, and hopefully a better one. But I would say... In terms of criticism, I, I, of course, I'm. If, if they had a lot of criticism, I, I speak to them about if they actually are watching a lot of on, on social media or they try to to close down their down their account for a for a period and I try to to back them as as much as I can. And they need to listen to themselves, the the key persons around them, not too many, and of course, hopefully, their coach. That that's the the criticism they need to take in because I'm always I I will also be criticizing them if they're not up to standard. But I really believe a lot in appreciating inquiry, that way of, of teaching that I think the more positive you can be, the better. But of course, honest, if, if it's been not good because they're very, normally players are very harsh, harsh on themselves. And how do you gather feedback and potentially criticism from the players and coaching staff for yourself? If I get criticism from the, from the coaches or the, the players? Yeah, I would say I always listen. I think I'm a very open-minded person. I listen to a lot of people. From all that information, I try to take the best possible decision. So your journey from Bromby eventually leads to Brentford. You start off with the youth teams and then you, you move into the senior team. And just after you took the job, you say you need to have demands, consequence and love, just like raising your children. And hmm. love caught my eye because it's not something that – a head coach in an elite sport normally talks about. Mm. Can you tell me why love is so important to you as a coach? I think, of course, love is a is a big word, and and a love to your children or your or your partner is is different compared to love to your friends or or your players or your or your colleagues, because we all know that there, there need to be a lot of demands and there need to be some consequence. But I really, really believe you need to build that relationship with with trust or love or what, what you call it. You need to, I think it's so important that you need to show you, you care about them, every single one of them. And I think that's the, the most difficult for me as a, as a head coach. I really hope that, that they, they, they feel and they see me as a person that they care about all of them. But I also completely understand the way the, the, the football work in terms of I have 23 players. I'm only starting 11 of them. So the rest of them, they don't get as much love or attention because that's just the way it is. I really try to get around all of them. I, of course, I speak to all of them every day, but that more in-depth conversation, you can't have that with all of them the whole time. I try to do it because I care of all of them. I really want all of them to be as good as possible and achieve big things. But unfortunately, I can only, can only play 11 of them and we need the team to perform. 
But in terms of the relationship, the connection, I try to create a, a close relationship where I speak to them about everything else than football, of course. But of course, it's always around football. The first talk starts in terms of how can we develop their, their game or feedback from a game, good and bad. But I, I do care about them and I, I want the, the, the best for them. That kind of empathy sounds exhausting. How do you it is. maintain your energy <laughs> as a leader? That, that's the big, big thing. I have a mentor in leadership that I use for the last two years. I also used different, let's say, coaches or when I was in Brunby because I, I just think it's important to speak with someone outside the club that see me as a, 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 not a different person, but as a, purely as a leader, not speaking football. Uh, maybe we should have built up differently or pressed. No, it's, it's a thing so much about leadership because I know that the way the route I took was a non-player. So I had to, as you described before, go through the, through the youth and develop my coaching skills on, on the pitch and in terms of the details of the game. I think I'm at a, at a, a decent level. Others need to, to adjust that. So I know that's one of my, my strengths. But the more and more I've been in, in this world, leadership is, the, I would say, is number one. Of course, you need to have a good level of, of football knowledge, but, but leadership is number one. I have that mentor. I speak to him once a week. And the good thing about having him constantly speaking or adjusting my leadership every week is that he's so good in terms of keeping me on track with, for example, energy, with, uh, we work with an element that is called constructive cynicism in terms of all the, the time suckers, all that cut it, but also in terms of every other aspect in, in the daily work. We're working very hard on, on those four main pillars I spoke to you about, hard work, togetherness, attitude, and performance. Try to really reinforce it every single day, every week in the team so they know it. And then other bits and pieces. But those are the three key areas this moment in time. But my energy, I, I'm a person that I'm very energetic and I can go for hours and hours. And I live my life the way I run a normal run. So I'm not the fastest. I'm not the, the slowest, but I just maintain a decent tempo constantly. <laughs> that's how I work. That's how I do everything. And that's, you know, over time I'll, I'll run past people because I just continue. But that's also very exhausting. And I'm more and more aware of that going forward. So especially this season has been crazy and the season before was crazy and we didn't have any holidays, especially the way the championship is, is built and we went to the playoffs last year. So that literally didn't have any holiday between seasons. And then we just went into an even more crazy season, playing games every third or fourth day. So especially from March month, I've been four o'clock at least the training ground. I'm in at seven, four o'clock, I leave. I need to leave that. Go home, walk the dog with my wife, maybe take a, a power nap, relax, do something. And then I maybe work a bit in the evening if I need to. The match day minus one before a game day and we play at home, I leave late three o'clock. Just simply because I need my energy level high. Hi everyone, I'm here with Professor Eric Knight, the Executive Dean of the Macquarie Business School, and he's just stepped out of the classroom. So Eric, what kind of leadership skills do you help people develop here at the business school? I think the measure of a great team 
is whether a team is having the kinds of conversations they need to have in the organisation. And so when we try to develop the leaders of those teams, we want them not only to know how to identify the issues that the team needs to talk about, but also how to have the conversation so that people feel comfortable and focused on the key issues that matter. Thanks, Eric. The master's programs at the Macquarie Business School, designed to empower you, challenge you, and transform the way you think. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I think it's a great idea to have these kind of structures in your life. And I think, I think everyone needs a mentor that can be a mirror and play back to them what they're yeah. hearing about their own behavior. But I'd like to go back to togetherness, if I could. You called it out as one of your values that you focus on with the team. And actually, I'm not a, I'm not a soccer uh, nerd. <laughs> I don't dive into the data. But one interesting piece of information I saw was that Brentford have a real focus on set pieces to keep part of your style. And you lead the league, or you're way above the league average in scoring from set pieces. And I imagine the coordination of the group to achieve that is actually quite symbolic of the the type of style that you want to bring into the team. So I wanted to ask you, if there was another person, a coach or even a leader out there who was listening, and they want to try and get more togetherness, more united effort from their team, what's some of the advice you would give them? I agree, for example, set pieces is a good example of where everything needs to be totally coordinated. So that, that that's a Good example of that. But I think it's a good, good question. I think definitely that I need to uh, reinforce it every single day, every single time where I think it's important to reinforce togetherness, where I can give a clear example. That can be the backs on the bus. That could be we play for each other. So that can be in a training drill, recovery runs. That can be off the pitch in terms of when I speak to the players and I can say, Make sure that you, because I know some of them have, we have a fantastic diversity in, in our club. We have so many cultures and, and nationalities. So I speak to a lot of the individuals, but especially the main guys, not only the leaders, but the one I know, okay, he's a little bit top of his group, even that we are a very united group. In terms of make sure your friend, now his head's a little bit down, make sure he's get, get up again because he's a good player and we need him or because of his personal problems with whatever parents. So I really try to get around that in, in every aspect. And then I think the, the person I, I am, I'm very, I'm very aware of the, the whole uh, team and the whole picture. And I always, I would say, as I said earlier with the togetherness, but also always also my staff members, I want them that of course have the qualification to fill in their specific role but also they need to think of the bigger picture so the more person you have that think of the bigger picture the better you can unite your team and your club and then for example when i show pictures when we are celebrating there must be the best feeling everyone celebrating together instead of one player celebrating for himself the best feeling so so constantly reinforcing those bit of of yeah of togetherness thomas you say Football is 90% suffering and 10% joy. <laughs> so the pain <laughs> must be worth the gain. 
What do you like most about being the manager? I think it's working with people. Definitely working with people. That's my, if, if I wasn't a football head coach or a coach or a manager, or whatever you call it, I think I would have been a teacher. Either, I think young people, it could be everything. I think I would have done that. I'd probably still have coached a grassroots team or an amateur team or something like that. It is working with people and creating something unique together. Creating something that play in a specific way. I see myself in some ways, football is art. So I like to create a specific picture of the way you want to play. And if you hit that specific level sometimes, that just gives me so much joy. But also in terms of you're creating something where some of the performances on the pitch or training can, can make me, me high or that you develop people over time to be actually better people and hopefully better players. That's what I enjoy the most. The 90% pain and 10% joy, it is, I think it can, in the daily work, it's 100%, 90% joy. But the results are so, the business is so result-driven. And that big moment, a big result is so difficult to get. Some coaches and players are, yeah, some coaches are coaching for 30 years and they never managed to, to get a championship or a promotion or whatever they are. Because for whatever reason, they were in different clubs or whatever reason, it, it just didn't achieve it. I remember I spoke to... Oge Harreide, former Danish national team coach, and he was a head coach in, in several clubs in the Scandinavian countries. And he said three times he was so close to win the championship, three times. On the last day, they could have won it, but they lost the game or whatever. And then in the fourth attempt with another club, he won it. So there's a lot. That's the same. We have performed unbelievable in the last two years. And if you can talk about deserved, 100% with all the stats, what we analyzed with people, we should have got promoted either last year or this year. We still have a chance. But we also know <laughs> we have also a chance that we maybe not will get promoted. And that will be so unbelievable painful. But the good news is that the second after the ref is blowing the, the, the whistle, life will go on, no matter if we're in a Premier League or not. So it's so, it's just a fantastic to be part of it. You talked about stats a minute ago. And of course, the Brentford model is, is quite famous and people talk about it as a business model, not necessarily just as a sporting model, but it is built on trading players. With such high rotation, how do you induct players into the culture when they arrive at the club so that they hit the ground running and become part of this togetherness, which you've talked about? I am very specific. I actually have an interview or a meeting with a player online on Zoom later today as well, potential player yeah, coming in in the summer. In that meeting, I'm very precise in what I demand from him in terms of the style of play. So, for example, let's say it's whatever, midfield or a right back, but doesn't matter, or winger. But the specific position, I have some clear bullet points that he needs to, to tick in terms of what we want for that type of player. Not, of course, no players are the same. So maybe we have 10 bullet points. Then we maybe know five or six of them he's really, really good at. So I reinforce the message there with some video clips of how we're doing things in running deep or crosses and how he's doing exactly the same thing. 
so we can see, oh, there's, there's a good match here. After that, they have the, the four main pillars in terms of hard work, togetherness, attitude and performance that we need to take. And, and togetherness especially is very, very big for us. And I also say to them, literally, I know I can't swear on, on, on the podcast, but we want no dickheads. So we only want good characters, good persons that add to the bigger performance. But, you know, this job interview is always so positive. So they're just saying, yes, yes, yes. And they're selling themselves and we are selling us. And hopefully it's a very beautiful arranged marriage. But then the reality hits all of us the first day. But I'm very, on the first day, I'm really on top of them in a good way. Keep reinforcing the good messages. Keep showing video of the training. This is what I want you to do. Okay, this, okay. But you need to do this a bit better. That was good. So constantly doing that the first weeks or months, depending on, on how you're going or, or how important the player. Thomas, you're building a reputation as a coach who's not afraid to change and innovate when the plan's not working. Mm-hmm. But what advice do you have for other leaders out there on finding this balance between being flexible and trusting your system, but also making the decision to change when things are not working? Good question. I've definitely been, I think, yeah, I guess, of course, depending on what you believe in. But I, I believe a lot in one system. That's just how I was raised, I would say, in, in football terms. Find a, a specific way to play. And you, you don't have to, that, that specific way to play or style of play, of course, we all know, doesn't affect the system. You know, you can play a specific way, either it's 4 4 2, 3 4 3, or whatever. But so a style of play, but I believe a system where they know their roles in as a winger or fullback, and then you constantly try to make it better and adjust the small details. I think that's crucial. So that's definitely the way I that I believe. But of course, over time, I've been more and more aware of flexibility is good. But so, so you have it. So I've always been believing, hmm, should I have two systems just to change quick so they know the roles in both? But also a, a very important thing is that if you don't have the players to play the specific system, then you maybe need to change. So when I took over in, in Brentford, I played the 4-3-3, but we struggled. Also also there, I tried to test my chairman and owner with, the, I think we lost eight and won one and drew one out of the first 10. So that was quite challenging, but we analyzed and we see we had some issues. So we changed it to a three-four-three, and that definitely helped us. So still the same style of play, but because there's a little twist, it helped us to get the best players to to Flores. Then last season, I started three-four-three, but we carried that into it, and then I changed to the four-three-three again because of the players. It just fitted better with three good midfielders, so we changed it to the four-three-three. And then this season, actually, it was 4-3-3. Then got injuries on our two, our two best fullbacks was out. So I tried to stick with the same system, but mm, it didn't work. It was not as fluid, not as easygoing, and definitely not as good on the eye. That is not the only thing, of course, about getting the three points and, and the result. So then I changed it again to actually a 3-5-2. But the, the red line through all three systems is is the same style of play but i just try to to twist it to get the best out of the players available thomas you've been very generous with your time if i could perhaps just ask one final question and before i do i'd like to just read a quote back to you actually you say Mm -hmm. i love details in football 
I want to create a beautiful game, but I'm very focused on how you can create a fantastic culture, a fantastic environment. So my final question is, in the distant future, when you do retire as a coach, what's the legacy that you want to leave? That's a good, good, good question. Uh, That's a big question, Paul. That's a really big question. (laughs) I don't really know. I don't think I I, I work to create a legacy. I just work every single day and try to do my my very best. I do hope that uh, I would say that people see me as an honest person with a big integrity. I think that's the the biggest thing. Then hopefully also a, a decent coach. Can I challenge you on that? Yeah. We've never met. I've only been researching and reading about you, but just listening to you today, I get a sense that there's something in there around embracing accountability for the good of togetherness. And I think mm-hmm. that there's a power in those two, I don't know whether they're values or those ideas, and the power seems to manifest itself out on the pitch because we see that with the results that you've got. So I think these are the two big pillars that potentially come through for me anyway when I read and listen to you. But thank you very much. I, 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 think, I think it's a good way of seeing it, definitely. I, I think, I think it, it's about to try to create that unique team effort togetherness performance out there. I, I like to say, give two good examples where that make me really, really proud in a way. And it's not only, it always gets, how can you say, Always a stronger message if you also also win the game, but we we played against Bournemouth a couple. Yeah, we know, now we're going to face them again, but they're going to be a completely different game, small margins, and we can win and lose. But we played them away, and they are a Premier League side just got relegated, you know, last year. And I thought after the game, they won one nil, but we were better in the eleven v eleven, except the maybe first 10, 15 minutes. But you look at the chances, the stats, and all that. But after that, we went down to 10 men for the last 40 minutes plus six minutes at a time. And they, they didn't create one chance in, in that amount of time. And we created a few because of attitude, togetherness, hard work, and a good performance, especially on the defensive side and, and a specific mindset. That was very, wow, that, that, that was very impressive. But then it come down to two examples from the training pitch last week where I was really... Then, then you just know you don't see it sometimes then there's just oh that was the moment we played against Bristol last Saturday three days ago not important game you know we were third but I just wanted to keep momentum so you could easily relax and it's not that I'm out there you know shouting at them every single day but of course I'm reinforcing my messages before or we need to keep the tempo and and then in the end of I think it was Tuesday Anyway, it doesn't matter. Tuesday or Thursday. They played, we, it's very rare, but they need sometimes a little freedom. So we played young versus old. On a half pitch, 11 v 11, no, no, no offside, so totally free. Four times, four minutes. Some playing strikers, a little bit, but the, they always have this GPS on. So the numbers, the physical numbers were sky high. So normally they maybe don't want sky high because they didn't want to lose to each other, because we created. I know there's a bit of banter, young versus old, but I promise you, in my more than 20 years of, of coaching, more than, yeah, 27 years of coaching, no matter what level, if you play young versus old, sometimes, a lot of times, it's just the, the one team are winning 10-0 or whatever. So physical numbers sky high, and the score 
was 1-0 and it was a golden goal. So we need to play longer time uh, to get the, the, the winning goal. And another example is on the Friday before Bristol, sometimes we play small-sided games. And this was just not young versus old, but just small-sided. Ten games of one minute. The score was 1-1. So a lot of times those games are 10-5, something like that. And it was 10-5 when I arrived to the club. But now it's so so competitive. And that just shows me, and I told the two players, wow, guys, you, you, you are in, in, incredible. And we had a need to add a goal, goal again to, to decide it. That's just good example, good examples of, of how the culture has been developed. Competitiveness, intensity, 27 years worth of coaching. I think that's a great yeah. place to finish. And I'd like to thank you so much for your time today, Thomas. It was a wonderful chat about coaching and leadership, and I wish you all the best. Thank you very much, Paul. It was a pleasure in any ways. I must, I must say I, I appreciate it. And thank you, Jim, as well. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you very much. The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here, and you have been listening to our discussion with Thomas Frank. Brentford were in the middle of their playoffs to get into the English Premier League when we interviewed Thomas, and so we were very lucky to get some of his time. Some of the key highlights for me were his view that a coach's values will be visible in the way the team plays, his view on standards and why it's important that everyone helps unload the bus or takes their own plate to the sink, and wanting to leave a legacy of being an honest person with big integrity who works hard every day to be his best. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. In our next episode, we will be speaking to gymnastics coach Valerie Condus-Field. The concept of allowing yourself to be imperfect, I feel as a coach, is one of your greatest strengths. Because as soon as you make a mistake and huddle your team up and own up to it and sincerely apologize and then discuss how we're going to move forward, I can guarantee you, your credibility with your athletes just soared through the roof. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with the great coach that you know has a unique story to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. (music) 